Good morning. So uh, this morning I will start today by reading Luke 10, 25 through 37, the story of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, so here's what I picture when I read this story. I imagine that this road, considering that only three people passed this guy, and also considering the fact that he could get mugged and nobody could pass by while that was happening, that it's a pretty deserted area. Also, we can probably assume that he's in a spot on this road that is out of the way enough that if you see someone in this spot, you can act like you didn't see them. Because I think if this guy had been mugged and left in the middle of the street, it, it, somebody would have stopped a little sooner because it's a little hard to ignore someone who's, been, who's lying beat up in the middle of the street, right? So uh, this guy, we'll, we'll call him Jim. So Jim, uh, lying there, probably sees this priest because at this time they had a whole, you know, get up that, you know, to be able to tell that they're a priest. is thinking, oh, thank the Lord, a priest. Surely he will see me and stop to help me. I couldn't be in better hands. Now, I imagine that he's beat up, you know, pretty badly. They probably beat him up enough to where he's, he's pretty much nonverbal, so he's probably, he can probably only grunt. I mean, I, I don't think the priest would have walked past if he was lying on the ground screaming, help me, right? I mean, so this priest probably sees this guy and thinks, ooh, he doesn't look too good. I mean, he probably got mugged out here. You know, I, I would help him, but I think... Uh, I think someone else will be able to, to help him better than I can. I, I do enough. And so this priest just walks past. And Jim is still lying there probably thinking, you know, what was I thinking? You know, he's a priest. He's probably in a rush because he has, you know, God stuff to take care of. And so he keeps lying there. And it's not like it was five minutes between the priest and the Levite. I mean, it was probably an hour or two. So he sees this Levite. And if you don't know, I, I looked up what they are because I didn't know what they were. They're, they're like assistants to Jewish priests. So Jim is probably thinking, oh, thank the Lord. If the priest was too busy, this Levite, I, I'm assuming, again, that he probably has a whole getup that, that makes it so you can tell that he's a Levite. If, if the priest was too busy, this Levite will surely help me. And again, this Levite is thinking, ooh, man, he doesn't look too good. I, I would help, but I wouldn't know how to. Someone else can definitely do it better than I can. And so this Levite walks past, and now Jim's getting a little worried. 
Two people, probably considered some of the most godly people, just walk past him without helping him. And Jim knows that they saw him because they went to the other side of the street. Okay, and, and Jim is wondering to himself if he'll ever live to see another sunrise. Or, or maybe Jim was traveling to see his family and wonders what will happen to them if, if, you know, if he dies. Because, you know, at this time, if your husband died, you didn't have much going for you, right? I mean, but then Jim sees a Samaritan. And this time, Jim is thinking, oh, no, a Samaritan. There's no way he'll stop. Might as well just, you know, make my peace. And, but, but something's different this time. Now, if you remember, Jews and Samaritans don't exactly get along. So the Samaritan is walking. He looks and he sees Jim, our protagonist, lying sprawled out, I assume. Uh, and unlike the priest and the Levite, he doesn't think. He helps him. He runs over, helps Jim onto his donkey, and takes him to an inn and pays, an inn and pays for everything. All the while, Jim, probably still nonverbal, is probably pretty taken aback, but grateful, at the actions of this Samaritan. The Samaritan didn't ask where Jim was from, what his religion was, who his ancestors were, or even who his health care provider was. He just, he just helped him. Now, let's look back at the priest and the Levite. Have you ever wondered why they just walked past? It always seemed to puzzle me in this story, when, why these two people, probably considered some of the most godly people in the, in the community, would just walk past. Here's what I think. They probably felt insignificant. Yeah, they may be, you know, super, super Christians, you know, but everyone feels like this sometimes, like their actions don't matter. I know, I know this because I feel like this a lot of the time. I mean, being a nine on the Enneagram, that basically comes with it, the peacemaker entree with the feelings of insignificance on the side. <laughs> but it's not true. In the words of Aesop, no act of kindness, no matter how small, is ever wasted. I remember back in about late ninth grade, my English teacher, David Moore, approached me. Uh, at this time, uh, you know, we had just gotten a new soundboard, and only about, you know, four or five people knew actually, like, how to use it, and only, like, you know, one or two that actually knew how to use it without messing it up for Sunday service the next morning and feeling the wrath of Todd Wolf. So, he approached me and asked if I would be willing to run sound for their, for their play that semester. I don't even think he thought much of it. Maybe he was saying, oh, Seth knows how to use the soundboard, and we need a sound guy. They were doing Cinderella, a musical, and I was a little worried about my ability to be able to do it well. But once the show started, it was pretty much life-changing. I'd never really thought about running sound for a play, much less doing lights or even acting in one. But doing sound for that one play is not only what gave me joy, but what inspired me to go to college to do it for a living. And I never thought that something on this earth could give me as much joy as working to produce productions that move and change people could. Now, take it from a nine. No matter how small you think your actions may be, even the smallest of them could change the course of someone's life. So, uh, so Jesus was giving a sermon, right? He was preaching, as he was known to do. And this one guy, he shouts out, Literally. It's in Luke. You can look it up. He shouts out, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Which is kind of out of place, right? And Jesus replies, he goes, and I'm paraphrasing here, pretty much says, who do you think I am? Which to me is like, you know in school when a kid would mouth off to the teacher and the teacher would say something really witty back and then everybody would be like, ooh, and then... 
the kid would get like all red in the face. This was kind of like one of these moments, right? So you gotta imagine this guy's feeling pretty low. Because not only is his financial problem with his brother not solved like he thought it would be at this point, but he also just got humiliated in front of a crowd of thousands by Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself. Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell a story, a parable, the rich fool. Now the rich fool is a story about a man who we know two things about. One, he is rich. Two, probably see where I'm going. He is a fool. <laughs> so this man, let's call him rich, right? Rich just has an amazing harvest. I mean, the harvest to end all harvests. And he's sitting around, he's going, you know, I just, I have a surplus of crop. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. He goes, oh, I know. I have these barns over here. And they're, you know, they're small. They're all right barns for an all right harvest. But this, what this harvest demands is for me to tear down these small, inadequate barns and build huge, ginormous ones. I mean, I'm talking the biggest barns you've ever seen. And I'm going to put all my extra, all my extra crop in there. And I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy my life because you know what? I'm set, baby. I've got it made. And then God speaks down to him. He says, you fool. He goes basically, look, Rich, if you were to die tomorrow, all of this crop would be wasted. That's pretty much the end of the parable. So what's, what's the moral? Because as we know, parables have morals. So what's the moral? Well, God calls us if we have a surplus of crop, not hoard it to ourselves, but to share it. So in a second, we're going to pass around the offering trays, and I encourage you to be generous. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but that is often how that's interpreted, right? I was at a Christmas Eve service a while back, and I was at a huge church, a mega church. I'm talking like big church, right? And this guy, he's the leader of the, of the praise team. He steps up. He goes, guys. And this is not an exaggeration. He goes, guys, God calls us to be generous. And it is the giving season. So I encourage each and every one of you to give to our church today because God calls you to do that. And you know what? That's fine, right? A church is an organization that needs funding. Let me make one point. This other guy on stage, he was the guitarist for the praise team. He was playing a $2,000 guitar. A guitar is a musical instrument. I know we're not too well versed in what those are. But <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is, how can the church, and not just this church, the church as a whole justify spending $2,000 on frivolous, unnecessary items when there are people not only in the world, not only in the country, but in our cities and communities who go to bed at night hungry, who don't know how they're going to get through the winter because they can't afford their heating bill. But of course, the church needs money. The church calls you to be generous with your money. Because, and I'm not trying to say that money is evil. Absolutely not. Money is necessary. But let's make a clear distinction between God and the church. The church needs your money. God, God doesn't care about this. God doesn't care about this, how much you have in it, what you do with it. What God cares about is right here. So when I say that God calls us to be generous, what does that look like? 
And why is it so easy to fall into the trap of, oh, well, generous, I'll just give money? Well, because to be completely frank, that's easier, right? If you can sit down and you go, well, I uh, donated, gave an extra 10 bucks, you are welcome, God, read my Bible, didn't fall asleep during the sermon, and I even prayed for 30 seconds. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the week and uh, just do whatever I want to do because I've fulfilled my duties to God, and I'm good. Next week, we'll do it all over again. But, but that's not, you know, God isn't some some weekly subscription that you pay for. God is not Netflix, everybody. So what does God want from you, though? If God wants you to be generous with your heart, what does that look like? Because it's not like, it's not like God is sitting on some street corner begging for food because he's hungry and hasn't eaten in days, but what if he was? Because God isn't a friend or someone you know that's close to you that's really struggling, going through a really hard time and needs a shoulder to cry on, needs someone to be for there for him. But what if he was? What if we stopped looking at the people around us as just other people and started seeing them as extensions of God themselves made in his own image because that's what they are. That's what we all are. But that's also hard because you think, well, hold on. Why should I? Why should I be generous with my, with my time, with my energy, with my money, and with my love whenever these people who are hurting and who are in not good positions, they're here because of themselves. This is all their own fault. Why should I show them mercy whenever they don't deserve it? Well, because you know what you don't deserve? And you know what I don't deserve? And you know what every single last human being on earth does not deserve? Jesus Christ, when he died like this on the cross, killed by his own people, nails through his hands, blood pouring down his body, as he screamed out, oh God, why have you forsaken me? To die for each and every last one of us sins. How on earth do we deserve that? Well, I'll tell you, I'll give the answer to you right here, right now. We don't. We absolutely don't. But God, because he so loved the world, man, I don't need to finish that sentence. And all that God asks of you is for you to so love the world as he does and to be generous with your heart. Thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.